first nine verses. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, though we do not deserve your goodness, still you provide for all our needs of body and soul. Grant us your Holy Spirit, that we may acknowledge your gift, Give thanks for all your benefits and serve you in willing obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And we'll hear our scripture readings for the morning. Thank you, Noah. Good morning. Our Old Testament reading today is found in Micah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading today was found in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise in honor of the gospel. From Matthew's gospel, the 14th chapter. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, 
This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is the gospel of our Lord. O grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this morning where you gather us in together to your presence, uh, where you give us a place to rest, to hear your word, to receive of your grace and forgiveness for us in Jesus, and we pray that you move by your spirit, remove distractions from our hearts and minds as we see how you continue to care for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today is actually the last Sunday of the summer sermon series that we've been walking through on the Ten Commandments and seeing them as words to be loved by. And uh, as you all remember, the other eight that we've walked through today, we're going to combine nine and ten because they both focus on coveting. And coveting is an interesting thing to think on, right? So as we hear in Exodus and uh, Moses lays out for the people of Israel, you shall not covet. And then he says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or house, or home, or land, or animals, or any of those things that belong to your neighbor. We start to wonder, well, is that still kind of applied to us today? What does it look like to covet? What are the things that we covet? I mean, I know many of you are not coveting your neighbor's oxen, right? No? Okay. Maybe a house? I don't know. Possibly. But there's a lot of things that we start to look at in other people's lives and we start to ask questions like, why is it different in that household versus my household? Why is it different in that relationship versus my relationship? And there's times at which we start to compare and contrast. And that's fine to an extent, but there starts to get another level of coveting. See, when we start to desire what somebody else has, and maybe even desire for them not to have it, but not quite going to stealing and just outright taking it from them, but you know, just that outright desire that somebody else shouldn't have something as good as you do or better than you do. Right? These are the things that start to run us down the road of coveting, desiring somebody else's things or relationships or other pieces. There's a movie a few years back, um, maybe some of you had an opportunity to see it. It was called Keeping Up with the Joneses. Really interesting social commentary movie on advertising when it comes down to it. But what was really curious about it is the way the advertising was done. It was done through a group of people that were called together as actors to play the part of a family in a neighborhood. And so there wasn't an outright print marketing plan, but it was through their lives placing things into the midst of the neighborhood so that the neighbors would see it and desire it and want it. It was really quite interesting. See, the, the 
actor playing the husband of the family would drive a particular car. And then as soon as enough people in the neighborhood started to desire that or one or two of those cars was sold, then he'd move up to the next model and then move up to the next model and then maybe move to another car. The kids would have a party at the house and only offer certain brands for consumption of things. But this desire that we have within us to see what's good out in the world and want it. And I think that's a good desire to see the things that are good. I mean, we like eating good, tasty food. We like having safe shelter to live in. We like wearing clothes that feel good. I don't see many of you dressed in burlap, right? It's itchy. It's scratchy. You don't necessarily want stuff that's going to hurt as you live. The hard part is when the selfish desires kick in and Satan starts to kick in and turn our eyes towards something good, but then turn that purpose for a selfish purpose and take our eyes off of the God that gives it to us and off the benefit that that thing can be to a neighbor so that we just solely desire it for our own good. And again, this happens in our personal lives as we look at, of course, house and home, but maybe relationships or kids. How come their kids' listener are more respectful than mine? How come theirs are better students than mine? How come this particular child got to go to that particular college? How come, how come, how come? How come all these things get to happen? And then as we start to get a little more selfish with that, we may even try and twist it in a way to where we can take something out of somebody else's household. Again, not by stealing, but maybe just convincing them to share it with us. Or give it. To us. So we're not necessarily taking anything, but you know, just putting it in someone's ear that maybe they need to share it with us so we can enjoy those things too, right? It goes beyond our personal life too and even gets a little bit deeper. Sometimes we even do that with church things. Think through how often we may look at what we have that God has given, and we say, How come that church over there has that shiny new thing? How come that church over there has that thriving community? How come that church over there has this entity going on or that thing going on? And we start to get our eyes focused on the new, bright, shiny things out and about without seeing the beautiful gifts that God gives in the midst of where we are, whether it's in our home or in our church or really anywhere in life. As Satan continues to work to take our eyes and focus it off of the giver of the good things and the benefit those good things can be to our neighbor and focuses them back in on how we can just solely use them for our good and our desires. You see, what coveting leads to is this focusing in on a desire for self-use of things and we start to then even see things like jealousy kick in, envy kick in, and discontentedness kick in. Because, see, when you're content in something, there's security. And I think a lot of times, especially throughout kind of a broader um, culture, we start to maybe even get the idea that in having something, that equals happiness and security or status, and just having the thing. The problem with having the thing is that we also live in a place where those things will start to deteriorate, or those things just aren't cool anymore, and now it's on to the new thing, and the new stuff, and the, the next thing, and whatever it might be that is then going to bring us some sort of 
happiness or security. So when that status piece changes all the time and that next new shiny thing changes all the time and our security rests in that, then we start to feel pretty insecure. It's a hard place to sit. When our eyes are taken off of, again, what God gives in a good way and what God blesses us in a good way. I mean, think about all the beautiful things that God has blessed you with. You have a roof over your heads to shelter out the heat and the cold and the rain. If you don't, come talk to me. There's some things we need to work on here, okay? Think about how often you get to eat. How much food is on your table? How much food is in the pantry? How much food is in the fridge? How much food you can share with others? How many people that are looking for that food? And I've seen it happen within you as you make food for others to enjoy when they're walking through hard times. It's so beautiful to see those meals shared across households and shared in different ways. It is such a gorgeous thing to see. But sometimes we can start to focus in on the things that take our eyes off of God, right? But he blesses us with such beautiful, beautiful things. As challenging as all and any of your kids have been, they are a blessing from God. They bring laughter and joy. They bring skills and gifts, and God's raising them up in your household to be a place in the church or to be a gift in the church and then also a gift in the community and to use their skills and their uh, abilities in so many different ways to take care of the folks that are around them. What beautiful things that God does in the midst of our little families and households as well, right? And as we've looked at these commandments, again, we've seen them as words to be loved by, not just to live by. And as we Look at the ninth and 10 commandments that we shall not covet. But the other half of that then is how do we then not only see what goes on in somebody else's life or see what God has given us, but how do we help our neighbors protect what they have? How do we help them uh, enjoy what they have? And how do we look at what is going on in the things around us with excitement to see what God is doing in different places for different reasons? See, God doesn't give all of us the same resources and gifts, not by any means, in our own lives or in the churches in the community. He doesn't give everybody exactly the same thing to do. If we all did exactly the same thing and all had a food bank and all did you know, a particular deal, then everything would look exactly the same. But he gifts each one in different ways and gives resources to each one in different ways to do the work that God would have us do as his people for the people that he brings specifically into our circles. So how do we get to work through the beautiful resources that God has given us between the two campuses, between all of the gifts and abilities that are brought together, all the many resources that are there? How do we get to work through that for the places that are directly around us? And how do we see those gifts with contentment, knowing that God gives good things, not just in other people's lives, but in your life also? And he gives it abundantly. See, as we look at how God cares for us and loves us through this, we start to hear other words of Scripture. Think of Jesus' words in John. So John 10.10, 10, if you were to go to it. it. From there and a couple of verses around it, it says, The thief comes only to steal and destroy, but I have come to give you life. 
to give it to you abundantly, to give you life so that you would know that every necessity that comes up in life is cared for, and even through the struggles and strife of sin and all of the things that come from a selfish desire and all the things that would corrupt God's good gifts, he continues to bring forgiveness in Christ. He continues to point you to the cross where your sins are forgiven so that you would have eternal life. And beyond eternal life, you would have God's kingdom. You would have his inheritance that he hands over to his son. This eternity that would be in the presence of the Father and in the presence of the Son to live life with everything taken care of, fully content and fully secure. And it's not just a thing that's far away, but it's what he gives to you in your baptism. He gives to you a faith that holds on to the promise that he is not going to let go of you. He gives you a faith to hold on to the promise that he has given you life and forgiveness in Jesus. He gives you the faith to hold on to the promise and the belief to know with assuredness that he loves you, that he will not let go of you, that he will continue to provide for you not just in the here and now, but into eternity, and that he's placed you into that eternity. That that eternal life is yours. It's not something you have to work for. It's not something you have to desire because you see it in somebody else's life. He's handed it over to you. It's already yours. What a beautiful gift to be given. Better than any shiny new thing that ever comes along. Better than anything that seems like it would be the one thing to make our life perfect. No, that perfect thing has already come. Born in a manger, lived about 30 years, died on a cross and rose from the grave so that you would have life and security and the steadfast love and mercy of God. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us in Jesus. We thank you that in our discontentedness, you continue to work to focus our eyes back on Christ that you would continue to point us back to your steadfast love and grace and mercy for us, that you have made us yours and called us sons and daughters of yours. You have called us your very own family and children. We pray that in these days, as we have needs, you'd continue to give us our daily bread, and that as we look forward to eternity, you'd let us rest in the promise of life and forgiveness in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise as you're able, and we'll sing.